You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout, and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off. And then, you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. 
Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I am so excited to tell you about all the new things coming up with this podcast, and thank you so much for listening. But the thing I want to quickly tell you about today is you've heard us talk on the Handicast, the special episodes I do with my sister Heather about our brand Handy. You've heard us talk about our new book, The Handy Book of Love, Lust, and Disability. Well, guess what? It is available for pre-order right now on our website, and I'm so excited about this book because it is a book that puts together 50 amazing disabled and chronically ill contributors to talk to us about sex. But the book just doesn't talk about sex. It talks about how sex and disability feels. So we curated 50 important responses from the disabled community worldwide to write a book that was about not only sex and disability, but the emotions around sex and disability. And we asked contributors to answer questions like, what was the sexiest thing that ever happened to you around your disability? What was the worst sex you've ever had as a disabled person? Tell us about how chronic pain and disability impact your sex life. Tell us about sex work and disability. So many things popped up in this book. It was such a, It's such an important collection, and it's one that I needed when I was coming up out as queer, coming out as disabled, coming out as all these things. I needed this book and these stories to feel like I wasn't alone. So I want to give you listeners the opportunity to pre-order the book right now and tell you a little bit more about the book. So the book is not only just a book, but the book is actually a donation towards our sex toys. So if you pre-order the book, at that's handy.co, and I'll, don't worry, I'll put a link in the show notes. If you pre-order the book right now, you'll every dollar from any book sales will go towards the creation of the first sex toy for and by disabled people. How fucking cool is that? It's really, really awesome, and we're super excited. And if you pre-order the book, you will have it in three accessible options: hardcover, ebook and audiobook. So if you want to hear more of my dulcet tones serenading you, my friend Katie Venables and I narrate the book. So you can hear me do a bunch of chapters, and then you can hear her do a bunch of chapters. And we're both disabled individuals, so I think it's a really cool project. So I'd love for you to pick up a copy. By picking up a copy of this book, you're saying that sex and disability matters, and you're saying that it's an important conversation, and you're helping to fund the first sex toy ever for and by disabled people. So pick up your book of The Handy Book of Love, Lust, and Disability, available right now at thatshandy.co. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your disabled daddy, Drew Gerza, your disabled dicksmith, Drew Gerza. Get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get this episode started. I got some awesome shout-outs from some people who are willing to help me do transcriptions on a volunteer basis, and I'm going to take them up on that. So sooner than later, I'm going to try to have more proper transcriptions. And I know I've said this before, and I know the podcast isn't 100% accessible, but I'm doing my best to make that happen because I really do believe 
that if I'm going to be a podcast about disabilities, I have to do my fucking best to be accessible. And so I'm really working on it. I'm going to I'm going to be in touch with those people soon and get accessibility happening and you know, I even thought about doing the automated um editing program and just putting up the crappy edits for now even just so that, that there's something there, but I don't want it to be inaccurate for people so I am working on it it may just take some time but I am working on it I promise okay so so I also want to give a shout out to the awesome people that support the show and put their hard earned dollars down to keep the show running so let's go to the Patreon site and see who we are going to give thanks to today let me do that right now hang on just one second while I pull up the new person that I'm going to thank, and the person that I'm going to thank this time is Andy with an I. Andy with an I pledged $5 a month to keep the show going, which is super awesome. Thank you so much, Andy, for your donation. And the the sexy, awkward pun I have for you is, Andy, that's so handy that you pledge some money to us. So thank you so much for your donation. And what that means for you is you get the main show one day early on the special Patreon feed, as well as you get a weird shout-out from me. And if you want to, Andy, you're more than welcome to create a show with me. So you can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and let me know what kind of show you want to do, what kind of thing you might want to talk about, and I'd love to either have you on or build a show based on your suggestion. But now, let's get to today's show. If you've been listening to the show for a couple years now, you know how much I love sitting down with porn stars. Particularly, in my case, gay male porn stars. It's one of my favorite things to do on the show, is talking with non-disabled porn stars about their experience. You know, what might happen to them if they became disabled. But today... I do something a little bit different. I'm really excited about this one. I get to sit down with my new friend and the sexy as fuck British porn star, John Thomas. I have been tracking this guy's work for a while now on the Twitter, and I must say, he made things happen in my nether regions that I... Wow. He's a very attractive man, and I... I am, as, a, as a gay person, someone who's queer... I was very happy to follow his work, but I started talking to him because I wanted to invite him on the show to do a pretty standard, what would happen to you if you became disabled tomorrow? And when he filled out his form recently, he sent me back some stuff that suggested to me that he also lives with neurodivergence and disability. And I was like, that's really cool. He he actually said, you know, I want to talk about my diagnosis of dyspraxia and my diagnosis of dyslexia and how those things affected me and we talk about that and we talk about how he went to to um, theater school and how he went to to do his masters in in movement and all this great stuff to talk about how his dyspraxia affected him as a kid and we talk about so many things here and what I love about this is because when you look at John on his on his face from his photos, and you'll see in the the Instagram and Twitter stuff that I put up for him today, that he is, you know, he looks, he looks able-bodied, but what the truth is, 
he has, in my opinion, an invisible disability. And he, he says, you know, in the interview, that he is neurodivergent. And what I love about that is because it's making us look at the pinnacle of porn performers a different way. And, and we talk a little bit about about how his disabilities impact his porn, how his disabilities impact his performance, all those things. And it's a really, really powerful interview. And what I love about the interview and talking with him is that I kind of encouraged him gently to consider himself a neurodivergent performer throughout the whole episode. Because I think if he were to do that and say, like, you know, say during a porn a porn scene, and he, if he were to say, I am a neurodivergent sexy porn person, it could be a real game changer for neurodivergent people or people with disabilities watching, you know, consuming gay male porn. It's such a, a powerful opportunity. So we talk about all that and a whole lot more. He's such a sweetheart, such a nice guy to talk to. At one point during the interview, um, my the the audio... We cut out for a minute, so you hear, you hear us go, oh, are you there, are you there? But really, it was such a fantastic and important interview on how him kind of kind of discussing how he's a neurodivergent performer could change the game for gay male porn and porn in general. So I think I, was, I, I had such a fun time sitting down with him. He was really, really fun to chat with and so sweet and so kind. And, and again, sexy as fuck. Wow. Uh, so I am excited to share this interview with you with my new friend, gay porn star, John Thomas, the neurodivergent performer, right here on Disability After Dark. John Thomas, hello. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I'm so, it's so it's such a pleasure to have you. I've been following your your porn work for a while now and I've been I've been wanting we've been we've been toying with this idea of having you on some kind of on some kind of collab for like a while now so it's nice to finally sit down with you yeah absolutely and I'm, I'm sorry it's taken taken this time and um yeah like it's been really really flattering to, ha- to have you kind of be interested from like quite early on when I started working I feel like um uh yeah cool I mean, I watched loads of porn, so I mean, I was like, <laughs> "Oh, who's this person?" And how do I, how can I say hello to them? But no, I, I, you know, and and also you taking interest in what I do too. I was like, "Oh, that's nice." Like, I I see you retweet some of my stuff, and like we we've kind of chatted on the on the Twitter, so it's nice to like finally sit down and say hello. But I wanted to, to bring you on because I wanted to talk about about disability and sexuality with you, and then. When you when you send in your form, I was like, wow, there's so many things about you that I didn't realize. So there's a whole lot we're gonna like kind of explore today and talk about. But before we get to that, can you introduce yourself to the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm John Thomas, and I work as a gay porn actor, and it's a job that I've had for two years now. Um, and I started working whilst I was doing my master's degree um, in London. And I started working for a company called Tim Tales, which are based in Barcelona in Spain. Um, and I had wanted to do porn for quite a while, for about 10 years. But it took me a long time to 
feel confident that I was making a choice that I wouldn't regret. Uh, and it seemed like a good job to do whilst I was a student in terms of um, like income versus hours worked sort of ratio. Uh, and I was very lucky and um, I, I, I guess I got fairly popular fairly quickly and, and that's how I, I came in um, uh, to your attention. Um, and I, I won Best Newcomer in 2019 at the European Porn Awards. Um, and then a year ago, I, I came back to the US um, for the first time since I was a, a kid and um, got to meet lots of people I'd only ever seen on Twitter and Instagram and, and sort of, you know, have a little taste of the international gay porn star lifestyle for a little bit until COVID um, kicked in. Um, and I guess since then, I've been very much in London and I guess doing a little bit more... Um, social activism, which uh, I always find like a strange label to use to describe yourself, but other people have been using it to describe me, um, I guess particularly around um, speaking publicly about sexual health um, and, and recognising that as a, as a porn actor and a sex worker, sometimes people do come to you for advice and, and, and see you as some kind of like role model in like how to, how to behave um, how to perform and and how to look after your sexual health. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool that you're using that platform, like, to not only to as entertainment, but you're using it as a, like, you realize the value in that it's an educational thing, and I think that more people in your position who do porn have to realize the platform that they have to, like, you know, totally on the other side of what you're talking about, we saw recently a bunch of porn actors in the U.S. saying, you know, the pandemic isn't real and the pandemic is silly and, like, don't, you know, like, go fucking have all these parties. And it's like, wow, like, if you're using your platform in that way, that's kind of shitty. But the fact that you want to use it in a good way to, like, understand that as a sex worker and porn actor, you have people's eyes are on you quite literally. So you have have that attention there and you, you can and you can use it for good so I think that's really awesome yeah I, I think for me or, or think for a lot of a lot of performers and models it was um, the um, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement at the end of May and early June um, and there was quite a division between the performers who, who kind of changed the use of that platform to stop self-promoting and to to uh, elevate the voices of, of black people um, and to also consider um, uh, discrimination and, and uh, problematic behaviour within the industry. And then there were other models who kind of didn't do that and just continued to self-promote um, and um, uh, I, I guess I, I suppose I do judge them in a way for that choice. But I think what it what it did for me as someone who you know um, I'm a white cis male um, and um, I'm, I'm mostly a pretty middle class, so I'm, I experienced a lot of like privileges in life. Um, but there are some things where I, I have felt like less privileged or, or like a minority in certain moments in my life, and is recognizing that there's a like, huge um, intersections uh, as, a, as a queer person in terms of like race, gender, ability, um, uh, wealth um, and like th those of us who are fortunate, you know, get, get um, 
uh, get idolised as, I guess, like, porn, porn people or, or whatever, is that we should not yeah. just be bringing, like, the ladder of um, opportunity up behind us. We should really be thinking about how we can we can make um, situations better for, like, everyone in our community. Um, and, yeah, so for me it's quite hard that there's a lot of guys who, who yes, they miss partying, but they're a bit like, well, fuck it, I'm fine, um, so let the parties continue, because that's not... Um, I don't think that's great kind of, like, social behavior. No, it's like we're all trying to survive this thing. Like, why? Like, I know you want to get your dick sucked. Believe me, I do too. But, like, I would like to be healthy enough to do that in a way that doesn't jeopardize myself or the person I'm fucking. So, like, could you maybe wait until the pandemic is over, maybe, to do that? Like, it's you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It'll be all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um... Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, like we certainly at a yeah. It feels like now that like sort of vaccines being announced, that maybe it's not going to be that many more months to to wait. So we there might be a yeah. more confidence. I mean, as, in, um, as long as the vaccines are, feel safe and not don't like you know, I've read some reports that the vaccines, some of the side effects are kind of terrifying. So like, I would hope that you know once they get all those kinks yeah. to go. Um, like, yeah. Have I lost you? No, no, I, I got you. Okay, good. Um, yay, Zoom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I would hope that when once all once all the vaccines and all the kinks were go, yeah, like I would be in line for it. But I think that we can't. We can't hold our hats waiting for this vaccine. We have to do our part first, which is like, don't go to a sex party when you should stay home. Oh no, did I lose you? Um, my internet is being a bit rubbish. I'm gonna move elsewhere in my in my house, but I was on my laptop, so I'll be staying with you, but I will be travelling for a hot second. Okay, um, sure. So hopefully that will make it better. Um, yeah, you're right, and I guess, you know, that that's um, a privilege that I have. I guess that I am not particularly feeling that I, I, I need a vaccination in order to continue to operate my kind of normal life. Um, but at the same time, for instance, my, my sister um, uh, started dating a, uh, a new girlfriend during lockdown, but um, is someone who who um, is slightly more at risk. So it's someone that I've not been able to meet for, for all this time, which is which is sad. Um, yeah, totally. And I mean, I mean, also in terms of like. First of all, cool on the like queerness in in the family. That's cool. Oh yeah, we're a very queer family. <laughs> like that's awesome. That's really cool. My, my my aunt is also queer, so like I also have a lot of queerness in my family too. Yay! <laughs> it's just it's um, good times. I think that's gonna work better. It doesn't. It's not telling me that you're yellow or red, so I think we're good. Okay, that's good. Perfect. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. It's, it's the joy of Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Sorry, I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, no worries. <laughs> the joy of, like, housemates and Zoom and <laughs> it's the joy of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. Um, so I want to move into... <coughs> As I'm dying here, sorry. I want to move into um, a little bit about your experience with disability, and I wanted to ask you, how has the disability or chronic illness played a role in your life? Um, so, um, it's a really good question, and I guess I, um, I, I find it hard to think of myself as being disabled sometimes, um, but I, um, I guess in, in some ways am or, or have been. Um, so I, I have uh, dyspraxia, which um, is a, uh, uh, sorry, my, my head's not working very well. So I'm, neurodiv- I'm neurodivergent and I have dyspraxia and dyslexia. I've known that I've had dyspraxia since I was eight years old when it was known as clumsy syndrome. Um, and I had problems with balance and coordination as well as with my speech. Um, and um, it was kind of things I, really, I would struggle. Um, I've got the report. I would, I would fall over whilst putting on my coat and things like that. So I had... Um, uh, uh, occupational therapy to help with uh, my balance and I had speech therapy to help improve my speech um, but I used to lisp and slur quite a lot uh, talk too quickly um, but in a way all that meant was I wasn't very good at sport at school um, and I guess I just felt like it was something that I w- wouldn't be able to do and because I thought I wouldn't be able to do it I didn't really enjoy it and, and didn't really try very hard um, and as I got older, I got much more interested in kind of the places where my head could take me. So in like reading and, and like um, writing and creating kind of fantasy worlds for myself and sort of leaving my body um, out of the equation. Um, uh, and then I guess as I've got older and, um, and before porn, I was, I was working in theatre as a, as a director. So I went to drama school and it was kind of through that that I um, uh, started to think more about how I could use my body. Um, and, uh, and in particular, I, I really kind of thought, actually, I, I've grown up thinking that only like the most able-bodied people can move, but athletes and, and dancers and everyone else sort of shouldn't. Um, yeah. But like I decided my master's degree in movement directing and teaching and um, considering that I'd grown up thinking that my body couldn't do the things I wanted it to do, um, I, I guess I feel like in, in a way like our, our kind of culture um, reinforces that idea that unless you are um, got that gold star um, gymnast or athlete or, or, or dancer or something that you shouldn't do it. Whereas actually there's like such a beautiful variety of movement across like all living all living things but especially you know all living humans um like whatever that movement might look like and have restricted and i've been fortunate to work with performers who who do have more visible um disabilities or living with more kind of a chronic um 
syndromes um, and it's been really great for me as a, a theatre maker to kind of work out how, how we still communicate um, through our bodies in that way. Um, and then a bit later on um, I became HIV positive and then I, I also uh, contracted hepatitis C and I, um, so I, d I had got depression and uh, signed on for what we call job seekers allowance in the UK but I was moved immediately to disability support allowance um, which I never quite understood at the time, I just accepted it for what it was. I think that's because um, the HIV was recognised then, this is like 10 years ago, um, as being a disability, um, whereas now I don't think, but I'm not entirely sure, that HIV is feeling quite the same way. Well, there's a lot to... There's so many... Yeah, sorry. There's so many avenues I could go down. So, so first of all, when you kind of... Um, when you were younger and in school and you were realizing that you had dyslexia and dyspraxia, like, can you, can you kind of outline for me, like, a little bit more about what, dyspra how, what are the effects of dyspraxia? Like, how did it, other than disbalance, was there any other, other symptoms that you were dealing with? Um, I mean, it also affects your, so that the, the main thing is to do with mental processing. Um, so the way that you, you think um, is is different to the norm, which is why it's um, within a family of um, neurodivergent um, uh, conditions, which also in includes um, uh, autism as well, um, uh, and I think a few others. So, um, but then because it, uh, you know, this is the only brain I have, so I don't know what thinking differently is like it's, it's just it's the way that my head works the only way I know um but I and I became more aware of, of like you know, how my brain is different uh, particularly during my master's degree by having kind of uh, additional support from a um uh uh dyslexia and disability tutor um but I guess I guess the main thing is like coordination, so it'd be like if someone threw a ball towards me, um, I might reach out to the left to try and catch it, but in reality the ball would fly past the right-hand side of my head. I just wouldn't really have that kind of awareness. Um, I, I, I tried to learn to ride a bicycle when I was a kid, but couldn't um, succeed. Um, uh, I mean, like... Because to this day, I always sit down to put my shoes on because I'm quite likely to fall over trying to put them on if I'm stood up. Which to me is like I'm just used to that being the norm. And then I see other people putting their shoes on, stood up, and I'm like, oh, I, I just that would be a real struggle for me. Um, so there are things that aren't major, but I guess when kind of all the other boys in the school, like playing football, is there. The thing that they most enjoy doing, but like I, I'm not only good at it, and so no one would want me on the team, and therefore I don't want to spend my time doing it. I guess it kind of, you know, then there was like a knock-on effect in terms of like who do I socialise with and who are my friends and and things like that. Um, and I, you know, I felt very lonely um, uh, in school, uh, particularly during my like um, kind of age ten to age fifteen, I think. Um, and those are like really formative years too, like ten to fifteen, and like 
Yeah. When I was when I was in school, I remember like I can remember also not doing sports for different disability reasons, just because I like none of the sports were accessible to me. But also like you know thinking about why can't I play with the other boys like this? How do I engage? And I did feel like as a wheelchair user, somebody with a with a very marked disability. But also having neurodivergent stuff, like I also have have spatial awareness issues. I have, like, I have no idea where north and south are. No, like, no matter me, I never know. So, like, I'm very, I know, so I, I understand the feeling of, like, did you ever feel when you were in school that you were, I'm going to use an ableist term here, but that you, did you ever feel, like, stupid because you couldn't process like the other kids could? Um, I, I never felt stupid intellectually because I think for me, um, the kind of the like working hard in like um, you know English history uh, classes like that um, felt like a safe place where I could be, and, and I would go to the library a lot at lunchtime just to avoid being in the playgrounds. Um, but I think I I guess I felt stupid physically and and I, I suppose that was reinforced by like the perception of others I guess looking at me being like well why can't you do this um, yeah. and uh, uh, and uh, I guess I'm not I, I mean it wasn't like the the I don't know. I mean, I think that, I think there's so many problems with the education system anyway. Uh, in terms of oh, it's you know, like <laughs> children uh, or teenagers are kind of like grouped and taught in, in, in um, the way that they are. Um, but yeah, I guess like you know, I don't. I, I, I I'm not. Um, I don't use a wheelchair, any other equipment um, to, to, to like to to support my my living. Um, so I guess I just had kind of other kids looking at me being like, why can't you do these things that we can do? Um, yeah, so you feel like what a lot of disabled people feel who have invisible disabilities and who are so many people on the show who have come on who are neurodiverse, who don't have a visible marker of their disability have said the exact same thing you just said, which is like, I don't have something to prove to them that I have disabilities. And so I'm expected to do something in a standard that I can't, that I can't do it at. But I'm not. I have nothing to show these kids that like I'm still cool and I'm still okay. But I have this. Like you have no way of being like my brain works differently. And like you can say that as much as you want, but the kids don't care because they're kids. So like, yeah, I can I can totally understand how frustrating that is. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm glad that school is behind me and. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, in, in you also mentioned that you, in in your time in theater, like, like you worked with some really awesome um, disability performers and you did some cool stuff like that. Can you share more about that with us and about what the, that, those experiences were like? Um, yeah, so I guess um, one performer I worked with quite a lot, an actor um, called Phoebe, uh, she um, she had quite a chronic um, kind of uh, pain 
condition and so she had an electric wheelchair which she would use but she also didn't um, need to use it all the time so she would alternate between being in her chair and and being um, uh, um, out of her chair and, and moving kind of freely um, and uh, like she and I both kind of were a similar age and, and left drama school around the same time and um, like, I guess I I never wanted her to feel like she couldn't use her chair because I guess that's probably some of the pressure that maybe she felt entering the industry um, uh, but for me it was like really wonderful seeing her kind of like negotiate um, these two different spheres and like styles of movement um, and that just being integrated into working with able-bodied performers um, yeah, and then one of the projects I did with her was intergenerational. So we had the cast were aged probably from like teenage to um, into the eighties, I think. So wow. although there, um, with, with just there no different mobility issues for certain members of the cast to do with age, I guess. Um, and at this point, I was really interested in in how how we did use our bodies to communicate and. Um, and, and developing movement, which for me, like I, I'm, um, like I love dancing now, but like learning to dance and dance lessons for me are really hard. Trying to pick up choreography, and I'm not yeah. a choreographer, so I've always been interested in working with the performers um, that I'm working with to create movement that comes from them. So it's within their um, natural repertoire, and I think that's more interesting seeing how bodies move individually than trying to make all bodies move the same way to, to achieve an effect. Um, oh, yeah, totally, completely. And I'm wondering, I'm curious, like, because of your dyspraxia and the disabilities you have and, and your neurodivergence, when you were doing theater, did you use that as a time to, like, let go a little bit and let your let your disabilities kind of shine a bit in that space? Because if you're learning about movement and your movement's a bit clumsy, then you can use that clumsiness as a, like a as a theater thing, as like a dance move, as like a, you know, as a way to incorporate that into what you're doing. Was that something you consciously thought of or no? Um, I guess I, so what I do remember is when I went to drama school to do my undergraduate was, we, you know, we're doing movement classes, which I guess they're the equivalent of doing like sports classes in school, but now I felt like I was in a safer space with other people who were there because they loved theatre, um, and it wasn't necessarily about physical ability, but about everyone doing something that was physical. And and I think being in a space where I felt comfortable encouraged me to to develop and push myself and see what I could do rather than worrying about the things that I couldn't do. Um, but I think in terms of creativity and how my brain works, my brain works differently. I think I do recognise that um, my ideas of direction as a writer are, are richer uh, because of that neurodivergence. Um, I don't necessarily know how, but I guess um, you know, if I find myself mind mapping ideas with other creators who who, who might not uh, be neurodivergent. Um, it's like my my brain connects things in a slightly different way, which can can potentially be more creatively interesting because it's um, not what people are expecting. Oh, totally. 
Um, tell me a little bit about your master's project where you wrote a, a piece about movement and inclusivity. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, uh, I went back to my old drama school, um, Central School of Speech and Drama in London, to do my master's in movement. Um, and I remember when I was doing my undergraduate degree, seeing the movement students move through the school. Um, and there's like there's like quite a small class, there's only like ten people in it each year. And um, I remember like seeing them when I was an undergraduate, and it reminded me of that moment in the Lord of the Rings film when Legolas is walking on top of snow, and everyone else yeah. is like wading through the snow. And it's like the movement students seem to be like elves, and the way that they move through the school just seemed to be like superhuman like, like, like they were a level above everyone else yeah yeah so i was like well that's never going to be me because i fall over like putting my coat on so <laughs> um so 10 years later going back and, and doing this master's course it was a bit like okay like everyone else on this course is going to be amazing at yoga and ballet and all these things that like i might try but i'll probably fail at um and uh and i did find parts of the course really hard. Um, some of the classes that we were taught weren't necessarily taught in the most um, inclusive way. In, um, but also the, the, we had sort of like peer teaching, so teaching one another in class. And the, my, the people in my class, even though they you know, got on with them well, they would struggle to teach me because I wasn't naturally as quick at like picking up choreography. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I guess, I mean, the other thing that then happened was um, I deferred my final dissertation a year um, uh, because, like, some, like, not so good stuff happened in, in, in my personal life and so I was having kind of mental health problems. Um, and uh, so when I came back to do my dissertation, I was able to reflect back on the year a bit more with a bit of distance. And I thought, actually the process that I've been through in, in terms of my experience as a, not only as a, as a neurodivergent student, but also how I have used that experience to then teach and direct part of my placements, I thought was beneficial. So, um, like, I, I found myself early in the summer having a lesson via Zoom because all university teaching went online. Um, yeah. And the tutor wanted us to do a really simple clapping rhythm. Um, and then for me, like hearing the word rhythm instantly kind of sounds alarm bells for me because rhythm is something I struggle with. Um, and then the, and the rhythm was not that complicated, but it moved so quickly from being just clapping to being something that we then like moved to. But I was struggling to follow the cues from the teacher because my, my mental processing latched onto like the verbal cues that they got taken away. But in that moment, I was able to reflect on the experience of me shutting down and coming to resent the teacher and the exercise and the class, and then to try and really kind of think about um, like what strategy I can employ to overcome that, and also how as a teacher I could not do that in the future. Um, and, 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 you know, I guess the... The very real danger, I think, when you are a teacher, which is to assume that if you've managed to learn something, that your students can learn it and and do it in the same way that, that you can, um, right. which is something that I've, I've been guilty of in the past, I think, particularly because of my dyspraxia thinking, well, if I can do something, then someone else can. Um, and so, 
there's been like a fair bit of research or well, a, a little bit of research into kind of neurodiversity in active training, particularly around dyslexia and to some extent around dyspraxia. Um, so I was kind of looking at that research and applying it to my knowledge. Um, and uh, I guess in, in, in terms of like mental processing, often it's to do with like not jumping between um, analysis and experiential learning. So it's to allow students to either just be keeping things very intellectual or allowing them to experience something for a long time. But for neurodivergent yeah. people to be jumping between the two is quite um, disorient like disorientating. Um, Tell me a little bit about yeah. one of the things that I loved in your questionnaire that I was like, I wanted to talk about this. Tell me a little bit about the experience you had with, with uh, you said here, an experience with, with a tutor who helped you realize that your mental processing is different? Yeah, so that was my um, disability and dyslexia tutor. And uh, I, like, so I, you know, I've, I've been very, like, bookish in school, but somehow doing the master's you know, much further on, like in my 30s, it just felt like I was really struggling to write essays and to approach my time management and planning um, and like either under or overestimating how much research I needed to do to make the word count um, and they they it just really helped me by breaking down that process um, chunking is how they described it um, and they it kind of helped me and I, I kind of imagined the sort of visual images a bit like um, when you're making a movie, so there's like the overall storyline and then maybe the film's in three acts and then the acts in different scenes and then each scene is made up of different shots. And I could imagine that um, as, a, as, a, as a, you know, an artist and a performer, like that's what that looks like. And I could apply that image to my research. So it's like you know, the overall story of, of, my, of my dissertation uh, is about inclusive movement practice uh, and, and uh, which included uh, queer theory as well. And then it's like it's in these three parts, which is my experience as a student, my current research into um, uh, like queer theory and inclusivity, and then a final part, which is like a forward career plan. And then again, subdividing that, and then you know, all those individual shots in the film, I could then be like, well, that's a 200-word paragraph, or that's a 50-word paragraph, depending on um, how much time I had to give to it. Um, and uh, it was scary because it meant that the amount of words on the page didn't appear until kind of much nearer the end of the writing process, which was yeah. unusual to me. Um, but actually, when, the, when I did write the words, they felt they were the right ones. It was a much better use of my time. And I wasn't wasting time writing stuff just to cut it out later on. Um, so like, they helped you realize that you process differently, which yeah. is awesome and like so important. And like, did that like for me that would be a moment of disability where you like they've given you kind of the they've opened the door to be like, hey, maybe you're like disabled here. Like maybe you, this is something you can start giving a name to so that it has like a place. And so like that moment where they kind of showed you that your mental processing is different might have been a moment where you could be like, yeah, I have a disability here, and this is great. Did it feel like that way for you? Yeah. Um, I, 
I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, like, I guess in a positive way, but I guess, um, but again, it's a, the realization that it's, it's not that I'm dumb, it's that this is how my brain works. And it, and actually, I can still do the things that, I want, that other people seem to do, but I just do it in a different way. But like, I can still get to the same outcome. Rather than yeah. thinking I can't, rather than feeling defeated, like I can't do this, like I'm not able to do this. It was like, okay, if I use these strategies, then I can still get my my work done. Um, in, in terms of feeling like I am disabled, I guess what I feel my tutor made me realize more is like, um, uh, uh, particularly in my experience, is like times when. I have felt disabled, I guess more to do with like my body rather than anything else is when like someone else is doing something that I'm, and I'm, 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 like what they're doing is making me feel disabled. Uh, rather is there than example like of that? carrying the loop. Um, like sports, like any kind of sports lesson. Um, uh, whereas, when I was doing like the movement in drama school, which had more freedom in it, I guess I felt like, okay, I can do this. Um, I mean, I guess the reason why I'm so interested in the label of disabled is because, especially in the work you do as a, I'm going to say you're a porn activist. Okay. <laughs> as a porn act, I like as a as a porn activist, like I feel like having you as like a porn performer say like, I'm. Disabled and I'm super hot and I'm gonna do all these things to this dude over here. Like I feel like that's that would be a huge step in like I think representation for for the disabled community in like erotic films and that kind of stuff because like to see you saying like I'm a disabled porn performer, somebody who's disabled could look at that and go, oh cool. Like if John Thomas can do it, then maybe I can. Then maybe like my sexuality as a queer disabled person isn't isn't invalid and isn't and should be supported and so like that's that's kind of where my brain was going like if if you kind of like gave yourself the or started using the title of like disabled porn star more that might i don't know or like neurodivergent porn star that might yeah open up a conversation i mean i think for me i i just feel like i don't know that I, I worry about it being that I'm not like um, entitled to, to say that I'm a disabled person. That's kind of something I feel. Like I feel very confident saying I'm neurodivergent and that um, uh, I you know have a very lived experience of of um, struggling with you know by because of being dyslexic and dyspraxic. But I I feel like. Um, like I, I have no no shame in being labelled as disabled, if that's correct. But my worry is like taking um, a label or a title that isn't mine, and and I guess like um, uh, colonising it. I, I love this. I love this conversation because people with invisible disabilities and chronic illnesses and neurodivergence tell me this all the time because I'll say to them like I just said to you 
no, you're disabled. It's okay. Like, welcome. <laughs> your, like, your handbook's in the in the mail. It's coming to you. And <laughs> they'll you. spend like ten minutes with me, being like, no, no, I'm not sure. Like, no, no, no. And my thing is like, if you feel that way, and if you like, if saying I'm disabled will get you support and will make you feel like, you know, will take some of the pressure off of like, what is wrong with me? If using that as a label will give you, will give you like an understanding more of what's happening and give you kind of a name to or a community to draw from, I think it's great. Like I think, and I feel so, not sad, but I, I wish that more people who were neurodivergent and who did have invisible disabilities could not struggle with the question of do I deserve the title of disability or like they'll, sometimes they'll say to me like, oh, there's somebody that's way worse off than me. Like I don't need to use that that term because somebody else who has way worse things than I do deserves it. And it's like, well, what, so what are you saying? Are you saying that like being disabled is all, like is worse than the average thing? And so like for me, it's such an interesting conversation because I don't see disability as a as something that you that is like necessarily bad or good. I see it as just is, and I think that it like. I personally, for me, Andrew, I think it's a positive, great thing. I Like, it's brought me where I am. I'm able to sit down and talk to, like, a hot porn star this morning because of my, <laughs> of my disabilities. I'm not, like, I'm, so I'm quite proud of that. But, like, I think for you, I just, for you, I see, like, especially in the work you do, like, I think you, like, doing a porn scene with somebody and starting it off, like, you know how they do those cheesy porn talking heads where they force you guys to, like, talk to each other and then you have yeah, the sex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like what if you did a whole five minutes where you were like, Hey, before we start the video today, like I wanna let you know that I'm neurodivergent, here's what I deal with and by the way, now I'm gonna suck this dude sick. But like, you know, just something to be like, This is who I am so that somebody else with disabilities watching could go, Oh, there's me like maybe I think it would just open the doors up for like representation and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that's, to me, that's really great hearing from you because, I mean, it's already made, made my head think a bit more and, um, uh, like, so I, um, I, I have a therapist that I see and a very, I feel very, like, bougie having one, but it's definitely really helpful. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about porn and, um, like, what are the stories that I'm telling now and, like, what are the messages I'm trying to share and, um, and it isn't like, you know, yes, it's like a sexual fantasy, but also I think there's like positive messages that porn can share. Um, of course. And actually that's a really, really helpful provocation. So thank you. Like, I just think that, like, and I, I did porn last year with, with my friend and, and sex worker, John Shea. Like, I've done one and I did one as a wheelchair user. And like that to me was groundbreaking because yeah. we like, I don't know if I sent that to you. And if I didn't, I will. Uh, but like, you know, we did it and it was so powerful because here's somebody in a wheelchair who you, who everybody assumes that somebody in a wheelchair is living this sad, pitiable life. And then like, I'm able to, to fuck John Shield for 20 minutes on camera yeah. and people are like, oh wow, like that's, I had people writing in saying not only was it a great scene, but they had never seen anything like that before. So like for you as a neurodivergent performer who has, like in in my mind, you have invisible disabilities. To be able to say to your audience, like, I have invisible disabilities, 
that affect, you know, my balance and my thinking and my mental health. But also, like, I'm going to have great sex right now, and you can too. Like, I just feel like <laughs> we need to do more of that because I feel like porn is such an able-bodied, white, cis, like, it's a very, and you know this being a performer, how how curated it is for certain body types. And I think because you've garnered such a following so quickly, you have a real, and do, of course, do what you feel is comfy for you, but, like, like I feel you have a real opportunity to, like, change the game a little bit because you can still use the privilege that you have as a white cis man, but you can also say, guess what, I, I'm dealing with this. And I think it would also open the doors for other porn colleagues of yours to come forward and be like, actually, I also deal with this. Like, it could change yeah. the way porn is consumed and talked about and, like, the way mental health and disability is talked about in porn. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think, I mean, I, I personally am very fascinated by the way that the, the porn industry has kind of shaped our understanding of... Um, of, of, of what it is to be a, a, a gay man. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's shaped um, straight and bisexual and, and um, uh, like other cultures as, as well. But um, yeah, there's obviously a real problem with representation and the kinds of representa representation that are allowed historically in the kind of studio porn system. Um, and I think that the rise of like OnlyFans platforms and stuff has helped challenge that in terms of giving models who don't fit the studio brief um, to build an audience and, and show, like, sex that we don't normally see. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I'm very conscious that, like, I guess, like, just surface level, I'm, you know, <laughs> like a, a white, muscular, like, sort of generic um, porn body. Like, yes, I'm a unique individual, but I very easily fit into acceptable porn templates um i mean i've watched your porn it's very pretty it's very fun <laughs> to watch <laughs> yeah but i guess also like you know i didn't i mean my thing is that I'm, I'm, i was 31 when i started doing porn and like what i looked like then wasn't what i looked like when i was in my 20s i definitely have like blossomed as i got older um but there was an assumption that i've just sort of walked through life as a porn star or something, like, from birth. <laughs> and actually, no, there's a lot of, like, you know, backstory and not loving things right. about myself that I've been through. And I think they're trying to communicate that and, and, and the beauty of diversity as well um, on individual, but also on a, a wider um, community level as well is important. I mean, I think bringing... That's, and again, I, I go back to, like, my pitch to you is, like, bringing that story into the John Thomas, like, porn story is also I think really valuable because like if I was 15 and watching porn like yours and I had disabilities and you came out and said like hey before I suck this guy's dick and we like flip fuck for an hour I wanted to <laughs> spend two minutes talking about like how I have neurodivergence it it might like it might change the game and it, it might humanize like that experience for somebody and I, I like I said I, when I did mine people were like, oh, wow, I never considered this. Like, I just think there's such an opportunity there. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I really am listening to you and hearing you on that. And, um, yeah, you're, you're encouraging and inspiring me. 
in the, the, the way that I imagined you would <laughs> before I sat down to talk to you today. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that so much. I also wanted to ask you, when you do porn with some of the hot people you dick down with, um, <laughs> do, you, have you, do you feel like your disability sometimes and your neurodivergence, like, does it play a role in how you do your porn or is is porn something and like fucking on camera something that's easy enough for you to just slip into versus like you were saying earlier, like sports was hard for you, but it's like playing with other bats and balls easier. <laughs> so I think there's like maybe some, because with studio porn when you're being directed, it's slightly different in that there might be a position that I'm asked to do that I struggle to conceptualize what is just being asked of me or maybe I like fall over and um and I guess like one of the things that's great but also about studio porn is you know you film for like anything between like two to eight hours to make a 20 minute scene so, so most stuff isn't shown so you don't see all of the like falling over the mistakes the mess whatever you just see like the 20 hottest minutes and that's being sold as a like normal sexual experience yeah. um I think in, in terms of my mental processing, I, I sometimes struggle with ambiguity, uh, and I quite like people to be very direct with me um, because I, I, it's quite easy for me to, like, um, I guess to get confused or to catastrophize. Because um, I think one of the things that is hard, with, is hard with sex work is, like, it is work, but also it's sex and it's your body and... Um, it's having an effect on your your feelings and and like your 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 you know you want to have you want to have good chemistry with the person you're working with. Um, yeah. So there's some like blurred boundaries, and um, it's definitely helpful just to, for me to be very clear about like what someone is wanting from a situation, rather than saying, oh, I don't know, we'll just see what happens, because that to me leads leaves me like sort of panicking about all the different options that could happen. Whereas I'd rather be told this is going to happen, and then this this thing, and then we'll do this, and, and then we'll be done. And I'm like, okay, I understand how that how that works. Um, so I, said, I do like structure, I suppose. Like um, when you're doing it with when you're doing it on your own, and you're and you're just for fans or only fans, are you able to say to like your scene partner, like, hey, this might happen? Like, like, uh, do you have more freedom when you're doing when you're creating your own porn to like if you stumble? Could it be a cute moment between you and the person? Like, are you able to incorporate that more? Do you think? Yeah, and actually, with I'd say within since probably June time, June July time, well maybe maybe more like since August. I think, think doing my dissertation this summer with the research I was doing. Um, so do you think like queer theory like goes a lot into like intersectionality with ideas around like um, uh, race and disability as as well was really thinking about like what moments I show and what I edit out. And I used to always edit out anything that I thought wasn't hot, whereas now I try and keep in stuff to make it feel more human and more real. So that might be some of the moments that are a bit clumsy or um, or like you try and be sexy, but it doesn't quite work out that way because it's funny. And actually I think that is attractive. Like um, yeah. no, one in, no one ever in real life has sex like a porn scene. Like, I don't no. think that's, I don't think that's ever happened to anyone ever. Like, I can hand on heart say that, like, porn stars don't have sex who looks like sex in, in porn scenes. No, I um, have sex with sex workers <laughs> who are porn stars, and it's, the sex we have is not like what I see on camera at all. And I, yeah. and, like, 
I'm thankful for that. When I when I have sex with sex workers who also do porn, I'll say to them like, "Don't come into my house like a porn star. Just <laughs> come into my house like you're you, so that we can like do this together." And so I feel like, yeah, I think the clumsiness. Like for me, when I did the scene with John Shields, like we spent, and the audience has heard this me heard me say this forever. <laughs> but, like we spent like three hours. Um, you know, plotting where my wheelchair was going to be and talking about how the angles. And, like, we spent so much time saying, no, no, we want your wheelchair here. We want to show this. Like, we want to show John helping me get in and out of bed. Like, we want to show that. And I think those moments make the porn more real for both the performers and also the audience because, like, they they can see something different than your typical garden variety, like, white, cis, guys sucking, fucking, and then we're done. Like, they see something that is actually akin to what might happen if they have sex, which is a real moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's the direction that my, my work is going in. I think it, it's also... It's, it's, like, it's really interesting, because I am also mindful that, like, I still have to, like, produce a sexual fantasy as well, um, because if I don't, then people will unsubscribe. And then I won't have any money. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it, it does feel important to me to to um, I think I guess be to, to try and show authenticity, I suppose. Um, and uh, yeah, I, that's something I'm definitely like on on a journey with. And I guess one of the, the benefits of um, of kind of the sort of like shutdown that's happening around the world at the moment for COVID is I've had much more time to spend trying to improve my editing um, and uh, and and really think about what stories I'm telling when I'm making those films and um, which I'm enjoying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and when when we when when I did mine, we also tried to tell a story, and so like I wonder, have you in your porn? life or your sex work life or your personal life have you been with somebody who uses a wheelchair um no i don't think no i i don't think i've ever had sex with someone who uses a wheelchair um well not that i want to tune in horn but we should definitely change that when COVID's over um yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um we should and uh yeah, and and I think I, I you know I, a lot of that comes from a, a, for me I think from a place of like um, prejudice and fear, particularly when I was younger, um, of like I don't understand this, so I don't know how how that works and, and things like that. Um, whereas I'm, I, you know, becoming a more worldly, experienced, and knowledgeable person now, I hope. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think it's important that you bring up that fear. That fear you're talking about and that prejudice is very common. People are just scared. They don't want to hurt the other person. They don't want to say the wrong thing. And I think when you if you if you encounter somebody with a disability in a sexual space, like you should be scared, but but with consent and love of them, do it anyway. Like for instance, if we were to do a scene together or just hang out and fuck around, I would hope you were scared if you didn't know. But I would hope, like I would say, like if you don't know, ask me and I'll tell you. And if, like, if we're in a sexual space at that point, 
I you like I want you there. I'm not going to be over offended if you <laughs> for like for me personally, I'm not going to be over offended if you have questions because I understand mm. that the majority of non-disabled people like um don't understand and they need they need guidance and so my job as a disability consultant has always been to you know hold their hand especially if we're in like if I want to fuck you I'm going to give you the guidance to make it fun for all of us like I'm not going to leave you like figure it out it's okay like that's not fair but I think you know also you as a neurodivergent performer have such a like again for us to do a scene like that could be super powerful because you have a totally different set of of I'm going to say disabilities here you have a different set of disabilities than I do and like that could again can you imagine how awesome a scene like that would be for two different disabled people to watch that and go, wow, this is, like, I've never seen this before. So I think that, like, you, I think the fear you have is valid, and I think you should lean into that more and talk about that more, mm. because so many able-bodied people are afraid of disability generally, and then when you tack on sex to that, there's a whole other fear that comes with it. But, like, I think that fear is valid. I don't think it makes you, like, a bad person for having that. I don't think that – I don't think the prejudice – that people have around disability is necessarily bad. I think it just needs to be talked about. So I would urge you to keep feeling that and keep talk, but start talking about it. Like maybe you talk about it in a tweet or your work or like something. Cause I think yeah. you're not the only one that feels that way. Yeah. And, and I guess um, generally, like I guess like fear comes from a place of not knowing and not understanding and, and that comes from there being a lack of conversation anyway. Um, and, and in terms of sex, I guess that my experience of sex education in school was in a Roman Catholic school, which was, you know, didn't touch upon, you know, only, we only learned about sex from a purely like, this is what you do when you get married to have a baby. Um, and, and it wasn't including, you know, what sex might look like or how sex would include um, people who who were not, you know, able-bodied, um, cisgendered men and women. Um, so, like, yeah, it'd be great if, if there could be better conversations and representation. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the interest of, like, starting that conversation, I want to give you the opportunity to, like, is there a question about sex and disability that you've been like, oh, my God, I can't ask that. I'm terrified to ask that. Like, oh, my God, can I... Am I allowed to? So, is, like, just off the top of your head, without even thinking, is there a question that you had about sex and disability that you have wanted to ask somebody, or have been worried about being being like prejudicial that I can maybe talk you through? Um. So I guess off the top of my head, it's like, um. So, so I guess to contextualize this, uh, I'm pretty kinky and a lot of different sexual things that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think of doing or, or want to do, um, which I think of as being like quite broad-minded or quite liberal-minded. So I guess my question would be like, um, if someone is disabled uh, it, um, with like physical limitations, like are the desires in terms of like sex acts the same as they are for uh, a, a, an able-bodied person who can do like standard um, acts and positions, I guess. 
That's a that's a fantastic question. Are the desires the same? I would say they're I would say they're stronger because we've been denied the opportunity to try that stuff. So like if you came to me and said I want to like my kink my big kink is leather. I love leather. I love harnesses. I love like domination and submission, and I love being like submissive to a dude. Like that's 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 what I like. Um, and yeah. so if you said to me like I want to explore those kinks with you. Can we do that, or can you? Will you let me take control? Or like, I would say yes because, well, first of all, because you're hot. Secondly, because like, <laughs> because like, you know, it's something that I don't get to explore. And I think my sexual desire as a physically disabled person is that much higher because I don't get to do it very often unless I'm paying a sex worker or unless like, you know. And given COVID, I haven't done that in a very long time. So, so. Yeah, I, I say I think the desires are higher. I think having a conversation though about how do we adapt this kinky thing you want to do to to fit your disabled body, like like what is? Give me an example of like one of your kinks, and then I'll see if I can like infuse disability into there. Okay. Um, oh, I like I feel like I have to out myself now. Okay, so it's it's not um. <laughs> Um, so like it's it's pretty out there, but like um, I'm I'm into fisting, for example. So um, uh, yeah, but that I but I, I okay. guess like I I can I can imagine how that that could work and how that couldn't work potentially for different people. But I think more what I'm imagining with this this line of questioning is like um, so I realized I forgot to mention it in my email to you, but I did I had psychosexual therapy. Um, uh, a while, like several years ago, um, uh, and all of that was about kind of undoing this idea that sex was a purely visual experience, um, which like pornography plays a huge part in sort of um, making us believe it's just a visual thing. And so, yes, when I imagine sex, it's in quite a visual way, whereas I guess um, maybe what my question is asking about is like. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's like I think I think I see it here. You, you, I think you sent me a beat. Like, how do we reconnect our bodies using all of us, all of our senses to like? Pleasure? Yes, and and if my body, um, if as a disabled person, my body works differently, are there different pleasures that I'm looking for? So rather than just adapting what my desire is, so that you're able to, you and you're able to fulfill it, being like, how do, where is this mutual place of desire between us? I mean, I think, for me, it's connection with the person. So, like, even if you and I weren't fucking, but we were just hanging out in my house, like, playing with the idea of being sexual, that sometimes, for me, as a disabled person, is really fulfilling, because I get to play, I get to be slutty, I get to joke around, I get to, I don't have to use my, I don't have to rely on my body, I get to rely on my mind. So, for me, like, Mm. sex is such a a mindful event with a person. Like, even if I bring over John Shield and we have great sex for, like, four hours and it's amazing and it's fun, that's great. But we spend, like, when we have sessions together, we'll spend 45 minutes just talking and just spending time together and just flirting and touching a little bit and and doing that. So I feel like because of my disability, my disability has allowed me to reconnect with the mindfulness of sex and not be so worried about 
oh my god, I have to come in him, or he's gonna come in me, or we're gonna do like all these things, and yeah, that can happen, but it's allowed me to let go of all those worries and just kind of enjoy what those moments are, and as I think for you, also as a neurodivergent performer, like that, that might be really cool to do a scene with somebody, cough, cough, when COVID's done, we'll figure it out, to do a scene <laughs> with somebody, like when we're like, it isn't relying on that cum shot, and it's not relying on necessarily the big able-bodied fantasy of what sex is, but mm. is more reliant on the intimate, the small moments we have with each other as friends and a performer that are less about, I'm going to dick you down right now, and more about, like, like let's spend time together and just go from there. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, like, my disability has really afforded me the opportunity to, like, explore those smaller moments and be really satisfied with just, like, sometimes John will take off his clothes and we'll be naked and we won't do anything. Or we will, or we'll cuddle for an hour and we'll, like, fall asleep and have a nap and we'll, like, jerk each other off after we wake up or something, you know, like, something really simple that is that doesn't end in this big pornographic moment but is still really bonding and fun. So I think, like, yeah, I would want to fist you for a very long time, but then also, like, I would want to spend time with you, like, getting to know you a little bit, and, like, I'd want to film all that, because those moments for me as a disabled performer are important. Showing that intimacy mm. as a disabled performer is also really important. Yeah. Yes, I hear that. Did that kind of answer the question? Yeah, I think it, I think it did. I think, again, it's that thing where, like, yeah, because the conversation isn't happening, I think I know nothing. But then it's like, I guess once the conversation starts, you maybe realize, um, I guess you, you realize more like there's way more that we have in common than we have that is different. Yeah, definitely. But it's also okay to like let our differences flourish. And I think, you know, I don't want you to feel bad that you know nothing. Like, you've said that a couple of times in the interview. Like, don't <laughs> feel like you're some sort of, like, douchebag because you don't know. I think being able to admit, especially with all of your privileges, that you don't know about, like, physical disability so much in terms of, like, how to, how to, how to work with them as either a sex worker or a porn performer, that's okay. And I think the more that you and John Thomas have that conversation, like, on your socials or, like, like what I'm picturing is, like, if you put that question out on your socials as John Thomas or that admittance that you are learning about sex and disability, that, even that would change the game. So, like, don't feel like it's a conversation you can't have or you're not allowed to have. I think it's very valid to have it just mm. as you. And using your platforms to talk about that could be really valuable. Thank you. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, yeah. Any, any time. So this, like, this is a really, <laughs> this is a super deeper interview than I expected to be, which I kind of love because it, like, <laughs> it got much deeper than how I had originally wanted to talk to you. Like I wanted to be like, Let's talk about porn, and it went into the, all these different cool places. So I appreciate that. Um, 
I think that's another thing with, with my, the way my brain works is I find small talk quite hard. Like, I find it much easier to talk about big things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, we went yeah. right into big stuff right yeah. away. So, like, I really appreciate that from you, and it was really fun to, like, because also for me, like, you know, most of what I've seen of you is porn. So to be able to, like, yeah. sit with you and, like, have an intelligent conversation about your experiences, again, opens up a whole different avenue and to be able to have you sit with me and talk about parts of your disability experience or your neurodivergent experience that may have been uncomfortable for you to, like, share in a public forum, I appreciate that. And I hope that this conversation has given you things to ponder and things to, like, maybe think about how you could change your John Thomas persona a little bit to incorporate a little bit more of the other part of yourself that you may have been afraid to share. I mean, absolutely. Like, I, I, I feel like... The, the experience of you know of, of this kind of lockdown world is, is, has made me be very reflective and then think about you know why do I do the job that I do and and like how can it be be beneficial uh, be like you know beneficial to me but also to others and this has been like a really really helpful conversation to have in terms of helping me realize things about myself and to think about um, what what changes I can make or, or, or decisions I can make that might, you know, be helpful to other people in, in terms of, like, representation or um, encouraging people to ask questions and have conversations. That's fantastic. I mean, I would love to um, collaborate with you some more on stuff. Like, obviously, we can't hang out in person until the world goes back to but like I'd love to collab with you again and talk about this stuff and keep the lines of communication open especially if you have any questions that like pop into your brain like I need an answer about this like I'd love to (laughs) offer that to you because I feel like that's how we change viewpoints yes yeah no it's been such a pleasure talking to you today and like yeah um um it's a real shame that I can't jump on a plane right now and, and come and see you but hopefully Sometime in 2021, that's going to be a possibility. Like, that's good. Um, I mean, I would love to have a cup of tea with you, and then I'd love to see what other kinky things we could get into. That's definitely... Exactly. I'll bring my lovers. <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. Um, so, John Thomas, just so that people can follow you and support what you do, because you're an independent contractor trying to make money with as a, you know, mm-hmm. foreign person, how can they support what you do, and how can they follow you, and how can they do all that? Cool. So you can, for like a you know, safe for work account, you can follow my Instagram, which is at John East 87, John East 87, um, which is uh, uh, my real name. And then my Twitter, which is at John Thomas XXX. Um, and then if you want to subscribe to watch me having sex, that would be on either onlyfans.com or just for.fans, and it's at John Thomas XXX. Um, and that's John with an H. Awesome. Fantastic. I'll make sure that all that stuff's in the show notes because I think <laughs> everyone should support you. Um, this was a really fun conversation, and thank you so much for sitting down today. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure. Anytime, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, John. Talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, that was another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, a part of the Wheels on the Ground Network. 
I'm really, really happy you came to this one. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.drewgerza.com, and you can follow me on all my socials at, at DrewGerza. So Instagram and Twitter at DrewGerza. You can also follow the podcast at DisAskDarkPod on Twitter. Remember, if you want to be a part of the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit about why you want to be on the show, and we'd love to have you. The show is, again, no longer just a sex and disability podcast. We want to talk to you about everything. So drop us a line. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more to keep a bright light shining on these stories. I'm your host, Drew Gerza, your disabled daddy. Thank you so much for listening to this Wheels on the Ground production, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions, with music by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020